0: When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner.
1: Hello, good morning. How's the forum today? On the agenda, public servants... Unhappy with the government's pay rise offer. How much was it? And is it enough in your opinion? The Midlands is to become a destination for riding your bicycle. New National Cycling Network being developed here locally. And air pollution in your town. What does the latest measurement say from the Environmental Protection Agency when you call 818 three hundred one oh three is my number. You can text or WhatsApp O eight three thirty ten one oh three, especially if you have a question for the rights expert, who shall be here from half past eleven. Now let's take a look at what's on the front pages today. Taking the piss is the headline on the Irish Daily Mirror. It shows a an area in Dublin known as Harbour Court where There is a problem, not just with public urination, but with the number twos as well. So much so that a fine has been placed. Please do not pee or poop in this zone. Maximum fine, 500 euro. Unfortunately, I suspect there's a place like that in every town. In Newbridge, when I was growing up, it was always that uh, street between the back street and the main street, as we called it, and people will always go down there, especially after the pubs close. God love the poor homeowners in places like that. Moving on to the Irish Times. Main story is that Gorthy have yet to identify a rough sleeper who was found dead in Dublin city centre. But another story might just pique your interest about road safety. And we have a challenge at the moment. We've had an increase of 20% between 2022 and 2023. And this year got off to a terrible, terrible start. But it turns out the RSA, the Road Safety Authority, has earned half a million euro from people no-showing their driving test. Because you don't have to even sit your driving test, much less pass it, to stay on the road if you have a learner permit. You have to prove, all right, that you booked the test But a lot of people have made the booking with no intention of ever meeting the tester. That's on the front of the Irish Times today as an issue that we certainly need to address. It's a loophole that's being exploited. Very impressive young lady on the front of the Irish Independent today. Her name is Anne O'Donovan and she's only 17. But she has developed an app that will detect child grooming. So if you install this on your child's phone, it will give you that degree of comfort. And how she was able to do this, having the coding knowledge, the psychological knowledge and the general wherewithal to develop the app. It's just a tribute to her and to her teachers. And I think to how we have developed an entrepreneurial and scientific culture in our schools over recent decades. So the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition continues in the RDS in Dublin today. Let's go inside the papers. There was a protest in Carlow Town last night on Dublin Street, the former Capuchin friary. The word went out that it was going to be, yes, you guessed it, an asylum centre housing 50 men and the Department of Integration had confirmed the plans, but abruptly dropped them. And instead, there will be families accommodated in there and they are expected to start arriving tomorrow and over the weekend. And this U-turn is very similar to what happened in Ballinrobe in Mayo, where there were also some street protests. And it really, I suppose, emboldens communities where they feel enough is enough and we are going to get out and we are going to protest in opposition. Danger, of course, is that it might also embolden more extreme elements as well. That's in the Irish Times, if you wish to read more. Some lighter news. If you grew up in an age without computer games, you might just want to discover some So there's an article in the Irish Times written by a lady who in the 1980s was just coming out of university. And yeah, there were digital arcade games, you had the arcade machines and you popped in whatever the money was and you could spend hours and lose a small fortune actually. But now, 40 years later, She has gone online and discovered something called GOG, which stands for Good Old Games. And it's an online platform which will allow you to, mostly free of charge, play vintage games from the 80s and 90s and even some more recent titles. And she encourages you to do that if you grew up in an age when they weren't there because actually they're a great distraction and they're good for the brain, some of them, some of them. She recommends Myst, spelled with a Y, -Y M-Y-S-T, because there's a new version of that out with all new graphics as well. So do you have, I hate using the word vintage because it makes us all feel a little bit old, but do you have a vintage game you would recommend and where do you play it? The Irish Independent looks at celebrity breakups that are really just the old-fashioned Irish divorce, you know, where you didn't go through the motions and all the legal dotting I's and crossing T's for appearance's sake. You stayed together in public, but in private, you were really living apart. It turns out it's really taking over in Hollywood. Jada Pinkett Smith and Will Smith They revealed last year they've been separated quietly since 2016. Makes you wonder why he caused an international incident when he struck Chris Rock at the Oscars, but let's not talk about that. Meryl Streep, who was married to Don Gummer for 45 years, or so we thought, one of the most solid pairings in Hollywood. They've been uh, apart for six years, but went to the Oscars together. So that was very much the old Irish divorce according to the Irish Independent. Is Jodie Foster right while we're on the subject of Hollywood's A-Lists? You remember Jodie? She was a child star herself. In fact, by the age of three, she was working as a model. But these days, she's not in front of the camera. She's performing her directorial and producer duties. And she has really hit out a Gen Z now Gen Z that's you if you were born between 1997 and 2012 according to her Gen Z are really annoying especially in the workplace now bear in mind she's 61 years of age herself she's no spring chicken and she told the guardian uh, they are like nah I'm not feeling it today I'm going to come in at half ten or in emails I'll tell them this is all grammatically incorrect did you not check your spelling and they're like why would i do that isn't that kind of limiting so as you can imagine this clip has polarized a lot of opinion and there are many who say she's telling it like it is a gen z need a kick up the you know where whereas others are saying mm, rejecting the old nine to five model the old rigid ways that's no bad thing I'd love to talk to a recruiter about that because I suspect many bosses will have a strong, strong view. In the world of politics, the Irish Independent tells us there will be no merger between the Social Democrats and the Labour Party. At least, that's according to Holly Kearns, the leader of the SOC Dems. Because Labour and its leader had suggested they would be open to the idea. But Ms. Kern says we're not in the business of giving charity to the Labour Party. The feeling is that Labour betrayed the trust of the people when last in government between 2011 and 2016. I think that was reflected in the vote. They received a 19% first preference vote in 2011 and then that collapsed five years later. So that's not happening. Sock Dems and Labour will stay apart. There will be a lot of events over the next 24 hours to mark the second anniversary of Ashling Murphy's death. And it's invariably a sad time, I think, for anybody who knew her and anybody who misses her. There will also be an attempt to look at all the positives, keep her memory in, a, in, a, in the way that people will smile through music and through her other interests. But if you are interested, there will be a mass to mark her second anniversary this evening. And then tomorrow there will be a commemorative walk, retracing her final steps. And the Ashling Murphy Memorial Fund was established in her name one year ago. And if you follow them on Facebook, that's where you can keep up to date with the events that will be taking place publicly. I'm sure the family and her friends will be having their own private ways of remembering Ashling, and of course Doro National School let's not forget the students of whom she was so fond they will be holding school mass tomorrow as well that commemorative walk by the way starts at Digby Bridge Caponcourt Car Park at 3.15pm and that pretty much concludes everything that's in the papers today there's actually there's quite a bit of good news as well Experts predicting the price of electricity is going to fall quite a bit this year. The raw price of natural gas, only one third what it was this time last year. There's a new drug, according to the Irish Examiner, that can treat a life-threatening heart condition. Amyloid cardiomyopathy, commonly amyloidosis. And you may remember that's the disease that killed Martin McGuinness of Sinn Féin. He was perhaps one of the more high-profile people to suffer. So they've made a big breakthrough in that. And uh, a final one then. You know when kids don't like vegetables, and it's very, very hard to persuade them otherwise, watching people visibly dislike veg can make you dislike them too according to a new piece of research. So observing the facial expressions of others eating raw broccoli can influence whether or not you like broccoli. We learn behavior that pays off. And we also learn behavior that does not pay off from watching other people. And this is called social modeling and apparently is one of the most powerful social influences on uh, eating behavior and possibly other behaviors as well. There, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Best news of all today for people across the Midlands and beyond. Little two-year-old Joey Conway will be going to America for life-saving surgery because we have smashed that target of €330,000. An incredible fundraiser. And to all of the people who were central in arranging it, Gillian May and... Uh, Colin McCabe and others it's a stunning stunning achievement and I'm sure for Natalie and for Tommy for Joey's parents it's incredible relief and a huge source of hope in the months ahead so well done one and well done all
0: The Midlands most listened to radio show Midlands Today Midlands 103
1: A number of major Midlands towns will be linked under new proposals for a national cycle network, the aim being to connect cities and towns of more than 5,000 people. And you're talking about trails and tracks and off-road connections of more than 3,500 kilometres in length and an investment of 1.4... Well, between 1.4 and 1.9 billion euro would be injected to achieve this. So why are we doing it? Well, let's pick the brain of Dennis Leonard, who is a prominent environmentalist in County Westmeath. He's also a member of Westmeath County Council under the Labour Party colours. Good morning, Dennis.
2: Good morning, Will. How are you today?
1: Very well, thank you. So what are we trying to achieve in doing this?
2: I suppose, uh, as you've outlined there in your introduction, they're trying to connect towns of more than 5,000 people. They're trying to make it accessible for transport hubs, schools, colleges, business parks, leisure facilities, tourist attractions, all to be connected through cycleways, so that people have the option of actually taking the bike as opposed to the car, and obviously cut transport emissions. As you've probably outlined before in your programme, we need a 51% reduction in transport emissions by 2030. That's what Ireland has, has committed to. So that's the frontline uh, objective, obviously, is cutting emissions. But also, as you mentioned, you're going to have Ballinasloe slow and Athlone connected, Athlone and Monaghar, Tullamore, Needham Derry, Port Leash and Port Arlington. We can give countless examples where this cycle network will actually mean that you can cycle safe, mainly off-road, but also sometimes adjacent to roads, the tracks. And as we know, we have the Grand Canal, the Royal Canal, running right through the Midlands and there's towpaths along them, which are ideal for a cycling network, where with very little investment, they were able to create, you know, a very accessible tourist amenity. But also, during COVID, we all discovered you could walk it, you could cycle it. You know, it it brings, like, local amenities, local, I suppose, villages that you thought were hard to get to, other than by car, now makes them accessible by bike or by walking.
1: So if I could just challenge the thinking a little bit. The trails that you've mentioned and the examples of the towpath There's huge amenity value in that. It's a nice leisurely place to go for a cycle. You don't have the cars or the noise or the intrusion. But if cutting transport emissions is the objective, well, that's where time is of the essence. It has to be a case that cycling to work becomes a substitute for driving to work. And in most of those cases, are people not going to cycle on the roads that we already have?
2: Well, yes, by and large, but a lot of people don't feel safe, you know, cycling on a road. But I think you've hit on a very important point there, Will. You take the canals, you have the boat people on the canals, they have to have their rights, the walkers, the cyclists, the train going beside us, you know, the cars out on the road when you're co-locating with cyclists, you see all the RSA ads. A lot of people don't feel 100% safe on the roads, because we haven't really got into a culture where necessarily everyone respects every other road user. So I think the safest way is off-road cycling. But there are are other issues, though, that we do need to consider here. And that is that, you know, train, you know, has to be important as well. We have to also have train lines around the country, just like we're increasing this three-and-a-half... Thousand kilometre cycle network. We, we had three times the amount of train lines in the country we had. And that for 2040 is another objective that the Minister for Transport and others are trying to do. So I think that's very important. And I think we've talked before about the Mullingar to loan Line. Let's just take that example. You need a cycleway on there as part of the Dublin to Galway cycle network. It's a nice walkway. But also, there's a train line there that could be co located with that. And, you know, while you have 10 or 20 people going by in a bike, if you really want to cut emissions, to your point, you actually should have hundreds and hundreds of people. Going by in a train on a low carbon light rail, so I think we need to look at all the all the users here and all the you know and what this benefits rural Ireland. I think some of the downsides have been mentioned in some of the press releases I've seen is that some of the cycle networks are saying it's great, great five thousand people and up, but not lot the towns that might come in at two, three, four thousand who would love to connect into it as well. Yeah, well, if you, you apply that to
1: the it, Midlands and even yeah. in your own county of Westmeath. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there are only the two towns that would have a population of more than 5,000, Athlone and Mullingar, and they're already connected.
2: I agree with you, Will. I, I 100% agree. And I've been saying this at council level for a long time. We have Mullingar and Edlone connected. There's actually the old M4 that runs up from Kinnegads, for instance, into Mullingar. There's a lovely wide road there that's perfect for a co-location, demarcated way at the side. The old M6 that you'd be familiar with from Milton Pass, Rochelle Bridge, right down to Atlone, That is ideal because it's an old wide road that's no longer used because people use the motorway, which is actually free in this yeah, that section.
1: Yeah, I've actually started. cycled it many times and the hard shoulder is already there so it wouldn't take a huge amount of repurposing, maybe some fresh paint to denote where the cycle lane is.
2: Do you know what they end up doing, Will, is they invest in something like five million this year in Mullingar for more cycling ways in the middle of town, rather than developing two of those two. So my problem is if it's all done to the large towns like, and, and I'd love to see what happens in Tullamore at Lona Monagaro I obviously welcome it but I think it can't be done to the exclusion of rural Ireland I know Kieran Mululi speaking for instance tonight in the Castelarra Hotel for instance in Castle Pollard and he's talking about parishes and local communities and rural development we can't forget about rural Ireland because if we keep putting everything into the big towns people will have to migrate in there to get local services and if the aim as I mentioned is to connect public transport schools, colleges, business parks, leisure facilities, tourist attractions. A lot of tourist attractions are in rural locations. So you need to make sure that you actually have a proper road out to it, but also a cycleway, you know, a walkway so people can access it and train lines. We have to really bisect the Midlands. We're in the middle of the country. There's no reason why we can't have train lines in every direction and put some investment into that. $1.9 is a lot of change and I think a certain percentage of, of of investment needs to be put into rail as well.
1: Let me be awkward again, though. Is yes, there yes. not a bit of damned if they do, damned if they don't? The biggest populations will be in the towns. Therefore, if you're to achieve the greatest emissions savings, it's to encourage those people in towns to take the bike rather than the car. So investing in cycle lanes in Mullingar makes perfect sense if that's the objective.
2: It does, but a, a local town bus service in Mullingar would also achieve an awful lot, and uh, and you know, bi- and obviously bike lanes as well. I agree with you, but also a lot of people that come into Mullingar or Tullamore or Athlone come in from the outlying towns, which are quite large, Kinnegad's 3,000, Caloogans 2,000, Roger Bridge 2,000. They're going in as well into the town, and they're travelling maybe 12, 14 miles for something that should be available locally. And the biggest point of all, uh, if I can make this well, is that we need to have more employment located in these towns so people don't need, so they can actually cycle. As you mentioned, the commutable distance to work with a cycle would be far more advantageous if you actually had a local employment spot and local enterprise parks need to spring up in some of our rural towns so people don't have to drive the massive distance people are currently commuting to get employment or or schools or or any kind of tourist amenity.
1: Dennis, thank you very much for taking our call this morning.
2: As always, Will, good to talk to you. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Dennis Leonard, who is a Labour Party member of Westmeath County Council. Coming up on 20 to 10. Let's see what you've got to say on this. Well, it is smaller towns that need an alternative to the car, says Hilda. South Offaly is pretty much out when you say 5,000 population minimum, unless they build one from Tullamore to Nina. Good point, actually, yes. That 5,000 threshold for a town to be connected might be a little bit too high for many areas. Duncan says great to see Mr. Ryan working to get all these rural cycling links up and running, but who will benefit besides the cycling fraternity, who will still want to cycle on open roads instead of purpose-built cycleways? Of course, it's perhaps the likes of Cycle Safari Ireland Tour Company, which was founded by one Minister, Eamon Ryan. Hmm, he says. That's a selection of comments on that will Jodie Foster she's going to be in the new series of True Detective starting next week interesting if Jodie Foster is somebody you want to watch on TV I'm not sure Gen Z will after she had quite a pop at younger workers for well being a little bit lazy saying I'm not feeling it today I'm going to come in at half ten would you have gotten away with that even ten years ago Much less 20 or 30.
0: Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Find out what you missed earlier at Midlands103.com.
1: Lisa says she would take Gen Z being annoying any day over a preachy pensioner like Jodie Foster. Ooh, gloves are off. Jodie Foster's 61. She's hardly a preachy pensioner. We'll be back to that. Twenty past well, round about half past ten this morning. If you fall into either camp, you want to defend O eight three thirteen ten one oh three on text and on WhatsApp. But I think the serious discussion is whether there is a different attitude to work among twenty something year olds than was the case when their parents were looking for a job. Let's change gears completely. Imagine taking a dip. In every coastal county in the country. Well, Fergal and Michael Bracken from County Leash were rocked by the death of their eldest brother last year through suicide, and they had lost their father only a few months later. The two men decided to take on a challenge to raise money for Laura Lynn and Pieta House, and so far have gathered over €10,000. And they've been telling Midlands 103's Rachel Timoney how this unusual idea came about.
3: Fergal, uh, I suppose, was the the, the ambassador on this uh, on this thing, and I, I ended up being uh, being the uh, the assigned driver, I think, for a lot of it. Um, he began by heading off, I think, around the uh, was it the first of December, Fergal? Yep, the first yep. of December. And... He headed off and went for a swim, and then he rang me up and he said, "I think I'm going to." go around Ireland swimming in every county and I think I'm going to set up a fundraiser. And um, I said, uh, that sounds like a mad idea and the best of luck. And um, <laughs> I didn't actually think it would lead to anything, but it turned out it did. He was uh, he was WhatsApping me and uh, putting uh, photos up on Facebook of him starting a challenge, which he, which he had invented at the beginning of the year. At uh, the beginning of the month. And, and uh, you know, it started within within an hour or two of, of getting the idea. He had started off uh, and he was up and running or he was up and swimming, rather. Um, and his challenge was to swim in every coastal county um, over a couple of weeks leading up to Christmas. Uh, Fergal, I suppose you can explain as to, to why you were thinking about uh, doing this.
4: Yeah, it, it it came about very, very quickly. Uh, I had actually been chatting to my family at home here about uh, possibly heading away for the Christmas. Um, we had had a, a, a double tragedy, unfortunately, during 2023. Uh, our eldest brother, Declan, had passed in unexpected and very unfortunate uh, circumstances uh, on the 5th of January, uh, where unfortunately it passed by suicide. Uh, that was followed shortly thereafter by our dad uh, passing away in early May, just uh, four months later, having been sick just just for a couple of months, actually, as it happened. So, I we I certainly wasn't particularly looking forward to the Christmas period, and I I felt that maybe heading away might be an answer. Uh, I had chatted with the family here at home, uh, with my wife Maureen and my young fella, Evan, and we decided that we would actually stay local for Christmas Day because ultimately that's where ma'am and my, my siblings and the wider family would be and that it would be, uh, you know, good uh, good for the family to be knocking around. So I said, well, it's maybe instead of heading away for that week or two, uh, put the time to good use and uh, see might I be able to come up with, with uh, something that would give me a little bit of, cha- uh, of a challenge, but a bit of traveling as well. So as it happened, uh, I was doing a job down in Galway on the 1st of December and I just grabbed my swimming bag with me. I do a little bit of swimming, nothing major, but a little bit here and there. And I said I'd hop in uh, for a dip into uh, Salt Hill and did a nice little swim there. Very, very cold uh, the evening of, of Friday, the 1st of December. And on the drive back home, I said to myself, you know something, I'm going to actually be in Waterford uh, the following day on Saturday the 2nd, and I'll be doing another swim. So I thought, I wonder how many coastal counties are there. And I wonder, uh, might it be an option to swim in all of them on the island? Uh, And the idea was really just born from there. And by the following day, we'd actually gone live with the challenge. I had thrown it out. To make to see what he'd be interested in uh, joining me, and I don't think he thought it would uh, it would happen, you know. So by the following afternoon, uh, I'd gone live on uh, GoFundMe, and from there, realistically, you can't turn back. So so that was it. Uh, on the Saturday, I I swam off Dunmore East. Uh, I went along on the Sunday, and I swam in uh, Wexford. Beautiful swim down in Bag and Beach in South Wexford. And I drove up along with Maureen and Evan up to uh, County Wicklow to do Wicklow on that Sunday as well. So lo and behold, within uh, 48 hours of the idea, I had four counties done. So uh, a good start, Rachel, you know.
5: And uh, you said yourself there, uh, you'd, you'd only taken a few dips. Is there, is there a history of swimming in the family or where did uh, swimming specifically, I guess, come from? Or was it just convenient for the timing?
3: I suppose the one the one that comes to mind to answer that one, the one that comes to mind for me, Fergal, is um and Rachel is uh when you say where did the swimming come from? Um we we ended up down on uh, St. Stephen's Day, down on the twenty-sixth of December down in County Clare in a place called um Spanish Point. And we were going to go for a swim. It was actually only going to be my fourth swim. I'd only gone once for one day beforehand. On December the 10th, I'd gone to uh, Dublin, Mies and Loud with Fergal. And I still wasn't 100% sure that I was on board for this challenge. Um, But we went down together down to County Clare and... uh, we were in Spanish Point and we were looking and reminiscing about our dad. We we all have a photograph up in our house called uh, Sink or Swim. And it's an image of the rocks down in Spanish Point because when we were young, we always swam in, uh, in County Clare. We always went in holidays there and we've great memories of it. Um, and I suppose we were exposed like a lot of Irish kids uh, when we were young to uh, the Baltic conditions well before um Little helped us out with wetsuits so that was the way that we were swimming was uh, part of the challenge was that we would spend at least 10 minutes swimming in, in each location and we would do it just with our uh,
4: just with our swimming togs on so yeah and I, I, I'd i say as well Nick um, you know we're, we're, we're not we're, we're comfortable swimmers but we wouldn't be in every day uh, you know, in terms of the sea swimming, you'd certainly do 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 a decent bit, but probably uh we'd probably go in for a winter uh dip or swim maybe once a week, once a fortnight on average. Uh so we'd Once we'd a Christmas. Be, we'd be used used to the uh used to the cold, but not massive swimmers. I mean we you know, we might do somewhere between a, a quarter and a half a kilometer or whatever when we'd when we tip in. So um, not afraid of the sea, but by the same token, not, not daily sea swimmers, you know.
5: And uh, you said there, uh, unfortunately, you lost both your brother and your dad in one year. So uh, this was obviously a charity led event. What charities were you representing?
4: Yes, yeah, specifically the, the obviously the, the immediate one that, that really hit us, uh, Pieta House. I mean, Pieta House do do fantastic work Uh you know for for our families and for individuals uh who unfortunately are struggling uh relative to suicide so that was a, an absolute natural uh, immediate fit um i i did feel when when you know when when setting it up in terms of the charities that we did want to spread it out as well and i mean you know there's no doubt that Laura Lynn do again amazing work uh in 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 terms of um uh, the work that they do, and it just again it felt, albeit that we as a family we had not been exposed, thankfully, to um, any any such need to ever use Laurel Lynn. Uh, we did feel that it was a very very uh, suitable charity to 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 run with, and um, I did think at the start as well that separating it out between two different uh, charities. It it might even get a, a you know a, a wider area to to try to help as many families who may have been suffering, um you know and and in particular when it's Laurel Lane you know yourself it, it they support uh, young children and the families of young children which is which is amazing work.
5: And uh, is this a one off or have you got a, a taste for challenges <laughs> such as this? Now will we be seeing any any more? stunts from the two of you and any other family members.
3: <laughs> I'll answer that one. I don't answer yes. do that, Virgo. Maybe you don't. <laughs> it's um I think maybe it's two once off. It was uh, it was a little bit wild and um and 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 in many different ways it was a little bit of a wild thing to do coming up to this Christmas. Um uh I think we 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 finished it off on such a high we finished it off on uh, in the Midlands in in uh in the only county in Ireland surrounded by counties that don't touch the sea, in County Leash, up in the cat holes. and there was a huge group of friends and family. I said was, it was close to a hundred people, and uh, it was such a positive event that I'm sure that's going to happen again. I think that's going to become an annual, uh, an annual meetup um, and an annual swim, and that was definitely uh, that was definitely uh, something that we immediately felt we would do again. Um, we might do this, this charity fundraiser again, but it'll probably be a little bit more organised based on the experience that we both we both had. Um, we, we really did push ourselves. It, it, it's quite difficult to get around to all these different counties and, and to do two or three swims per day. When you're swimming in the sea for a minimum of 10 minutes each time, uh, it did become a challenge. Um, if it's to be repeated, I think we absolutely have to pre-book our saunas on the beach because we, uh, we were very envious of all the strangers that we met along the way who had got their act together and were spending their time enjoying themselves, drinking their coffees and uh, warming up while we were just getting in our cars and driving off the, to the next county. And that's Virgil and Michael Bracken
1: chatting with Midlands 103's Rachel Timoney. In the next hour, how much of a pay rise do public servants deserve because they're not happy with the government's offer. Love the
0: Midlands? Love Midlands 103.
1: Good morning. Now still on the agenda today. Need proof that nursing homes are closing? The number of beds in the Midlands is half what it was four <sighs> years ago. The public health alert for air pollution. Is it in your town? We'll hear from the Department of Public Health. In an hour's time. And Gen Z, apparently really annoying in the workplace, according to movie star Jodie Foster. Is there any truth in this or is she just having a bop at people who don't like her and who probably can't name her movies? Can you? When you text 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Let's turn our attention to public servants and to the pay expectations of 385,000 workers who are all on the government payroll. There were talks which broke up yesterday without agreement and with a proposal from government which unions described as extremely disappointing. Anne Marie Walsh is industry correspondent with the Irish Independent. Anne Marie, good morning.
6: Hi, Will. How are you? Very
1: well, thank you. Tell us more about this quote: "extremely disappointing proposal."
6: Okay. Um, well, I'm. Um, excuse me if I sound a bit dodgy. I'm. 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 I've been up half the night, so. It's only a couple of hours since I got in. Oh dear, well, that Negotiated. does sound dodgy being it, up it, half it, the it, night. We won't it's inquire. Go, it's going on, so I'm, I'm not going to be in, in a favourable mood about any of it. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, no, so this, it, it, it was kind of, there were a lot of highs and lows um, during the night, but we were basically expecting it at one point to collapse, but it didn't. It, it managed to kind of struggle on and, and survive. And eventually there was white smoke and, and the guys the the we saw the union negotiators at three o'clock this morning now it hasn't broken down but it it's still trundling along, but okay. they were not not too happy not too happy at all about the the offer they got from pascal Donahue's officials
1: and that offer do we know what percentage it it was proposing or any of the detail around mm-hmm.
6: it? I'm very disappointing on that front. I'm afraid I don't have that. But, you know, you could make an informed um, guess that with inflation forecasts at around 3% for this year and 2% for next year, that if unions are looking to at least match that, that they're the kind of ballparks we're talking. Now, Kevin Callanan, who is the main union negotiator, has said he also wants to make up for a shortfall in what the unions got in the last agreement, which was building momentum. Now, if you and remember just remind back to us that, of the
1: date that was agreed.
6: Of, of course, the date of that agreement
1: of building sorry, momentum. The, does that yeah, predate the sharp that, inflation we've had in recent years?
6: It 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 basically did, but the inflation was on the rise when it was negotiated, so that lasted two years. And then three years when it was revised, that, mm. that last deal. So it's it, it basically spanned the last three years when we've seen you know, record levels of inflation. So in the middle of that agreement, the union went back and said to the government, look, this is not on any longer. We feel the increases you gave us during this are far too modest. We want more, basically. And they got it. They got more. They got an extra 6.5%. So public servants got 9.5% over the course of three years in that deal, from the three years up to this December, the end of this December. So if you look at that, then that's about 3% a year. And Mr. callanan is claiming that that is half of what the inflation rate was. But, you know, you could argue that, well, look, we're private sector workers getting that. And on the other hand, you know, they were not getting increases that were matching inflation. Inflation was going off the charts, let's face it. Um, and, you know, 9.5% is considerable over, over three years. But
1: bearing in mind well, there's in fact, a compound effect say, well, as well. And if, there's, if there's to be mm. a further increase, well, that's an increase based off of those previous increases, not the original yeah, base. And,
6: you know, uh, to be fair to the government, the unions went back in and revised that deal and got extra increases. So, you know, how many times can you go back to the table on that basis, like saying that there was a shortfall in the previous agreement? they've already done it and I'm sure when they were selling that deal to their members they were saying this is the best we could get. Well, was it? But anyway, that's another argument. But what I'm saying is he is leaving room in their argument for an extra wallet of money. You know? And every 1% in this agreement costs 200, cost 250 million euros. So they're the kind of figures you're talking about. It's a lot of people. The public sector pay bill is 24 billion at the moment.
1: And of course, That's people will remember from previous money. From, from previous negotiations, it ultimately is put to the different unions and some unions are in and some unions are out and there may be um, professions within the public service that feel they have a bigger shortfall to make up than others. Uh, those working in the defence forces, for instance, although they're not unionised, but they're uh, maybe yes. individual business cases. Nurses uh, and doctors, indeed, will say they're losing people from within the ranks because the grass is greener overseas. That may not mm-hmm. apply mm. to the same extent for administrative staff. So, is it a one size fits all negotiation?
6: It always is. Well, yeah, it is. And I mean, that's the downside of this type of an agreement, Um, you know, but what are you going to do then? Are you going to have, you know, just deal with separate claims for different groups? And then how do you deal with claims for those who don't put them in? You know, it'd be a bit like the private sector at the moment without social partnership, you know, where people are, are just making claims as they see fit. So, it would be the same situation in the public service. I suppose from the union's perspective, at least this way, they're getting increases for all their members all the time. You know, everybody's benefiting. But the downside, I suppose, is you do have groups of staff, and I think a lot of people would agree who are very worthy of increases. Say, for instance, the retained firefighters who were on strike during last year, um, who, who are on very low pay by public service standards, by any standards. You know, they're on retainer um, payments of you know twelve thirteen thousand a year now they do get extra money for call outs but you know it, it it's not huge money, mm. and a lot of those people have to be on call twenty four seven they have to be within five kilometers of their um station at all times so you know there are a lot you're right there are a lot of frontline workers for whom there are stipulations around strike action who are not allowed to be union members who would have great difficulty with with you know getting increases because they're not represented, they're not affiliates of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions and it's more difficult for them. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I would agree with that.
1: So, Anne-Marie, what happens now following this very late adjournment?
6: What happens? OK, so we don't know when they're back, Will. You know, There, there is kind of, there. there's a sense that maybe... This might have something to do with the fact that the doll is not back until next week and, you know, if, if you're quite cynical that this is a political strategy that Pascal who can talk to Cabinet, can talk to, you know, can make get more publicity <laughs> about the fact that public servants are going to more than likely get pay increases. Um, so I would imagine that it will be back within a couple of days. I don't think they're going to allow this to, to go on indefinitely. Um, you know, there's already a lot of irritation that it's gone this long The other deal is over. They do need something to, to take a look. So um, I would expect probably maybe Monday, Tuesday, we might be back in. But um, one of the things that the, the union negotiators, Kevin Callanan, and Finley Hay, John Boyle and John King, when they came out last night, were saying was that the, the Workplace Relations Commission said the um, government side wants time to reflect, whatever that means. I don't know if that means look and see how much money, more money they might put up or whether they will or not. Um, yeah, well so I'm sure they'll have the Fiscal Advisory
1: Council breathing down their necks if they increase spending <laughs> any more.
6: They will, they will. You know, I think what Pascal Donahue, um sees as fair and sustainable is probably quite different to what the union negotiator, Kevin Callanan, sees as fair and sustainable.
1: And Marie, we'll watch with interest. By the way, why do they always negotiate into the wee hours of the morning? Is that partly a tactic that's... as well to tire out <laughs> the other side and make them relent?
6: Maybe. I mean, it's one of my bugbears. <laughs> yeah, I think the Workplace Relations Commission needs to just say, "Look, if you're not out of here by by twelve o'clock, it's a journey."
1: <laughs> yeah, know? we're turning off the it, lights.
6: It does seem ridiculous. I don't know what you're achieving at that stage because you know you could make a lot of mistakes as well. Um, but yeah, no. it just seems to be one of those things that it has to go to the wire. You know, they have to do this. It just never seems to be any other way.
1: <laughs> Anne-Marie, we owe you a good strong coffee. Thank you for taking our call. <laughs> OK. Anne-Marie Walsh is industry correspondent with the Irish Independent. Coming up on 20 past 10 now. Next, proof, if you needed it, that nursing homes are closing here in the Midlands. The number of beds is half what it was four years ago. Love the Midlands? Love
0: Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103
1: The number of nursing home beds here in the Midlands is half what it was only four years ago. According to data for CHO Area 8, so that's the community healthcare organisation covering Leash, Offaly, Westmeath as well as Longford, Lowth and Meath. Dennis Nocton, the independent TD Has the figures, he's been telling Midlands 103's David Hollywood that a whole-of-government approach is needed to rectify the problem.
7: The other interesting thing that was raised in the SRI report was the need to try and provide greater support uh, for people to remain in their own homes. Mm. And this is an issue that the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Social Protection has been looking at in terms of trying to support uh, family carers, Uh, And we have made a very strong recommendation that we need to abolish uh, the means test now uh, for the the carers allowance uh, to help support families in caring for an older person at home. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be a facility where families can get a break. And interesting, an issue that I raised last year in the Dáil was the, the number of respite beds that are available for families to take a break, maybe to go on a holiday or if there's a family wedding uh, so that the older person can go into a respite bed for a week or two, um, you know, for family occasions. Yes. And the number of beds across the CH08, which covers the Midlands, Leish Offaly, Longford Westmeath, and uh, Mead, has reduced by 57% between 2019 before COVID and 2023 after COVID. In 2019, there were 30 respite beds available to family carers to care for an older person uh, if they had to go in for a hospital appointment, uh, if the carer had to take a break for some other reason. Um, Today, there are just 13 of those beds uh, available.
4: That's a massive loss of respite beds, Dennis, and it's a really interesting point to underline that this it's just gotten harder for people to unburden the health system is what we're ultimately talking about here, isn't it?
7: Now, uh, most of the private nursing homes um, don't provide specific dementia units um, and uh, that is then left on the public hospital long stay hospital system to care for for those particular patients and again across ch08 which is lee shawfly longford west and Louth and meath between 2019 and 2023 we've gone from nine uh, dementia beds down to just three dementia beds across those six counties uh within the public hospital system uh so again you know we're actually seeing not only the small family-run private nursing homes uh, closing down, but we're seeing a withdrawal of capacity and services within the public nursing home system Mm. uh, as well, which is forcing people uh, to put their elderly relative into a nursing home that's not in their area, which is further away, much bigger uh, nursing homes. And because of that, They're less likely to be able to visit them as frequently uh, as they would like to do. Mm. Uh, And this is a lose-lose situation for older people.
4: Dennis, what we're saying this evening is that since the pandemic, there are less nursing home beds, there are less respite beds and uh, there are less dementia beds in this country and across the Midlands when we have an ageing and growing population. It's pretty stark stuff.
7: It is. And, and, like, you know, the, the SRI are, are, are saying that, look, the number of nursing home beds uh, have reduced. They've consolidated into bigger, uh, privately owned outside of this country by investment uh, companies. They see a, a financial gain for them in, in relation to that. Uh, the SRI are saying that, look, we need to look more at providing support uh, in homes. But that support, in fact, is not even being maintained. We're seeing the supports that are available for family carers that are caring for older people in their own homes reducing rather than, than, than improving within the health service. Now, in fairness to Minister uh, Heather Humphreys, she has enhanced uh, the carers allowance, the eligibility for the carers allowance. And I know that she personally would like to see the means test removed from. Uh, the carers' allowance. But that can't happen in isolation. There needs to be a whole-of-government approach uh, in relation uh, to this.
1: Dennis Naughton, Independent TD for Roscommon-Galway. and Galway. There is a massive workforce for a small island, so it's not just a wage increase on the table. We need job reductions, more efficiency. They're tripping over one another, some of these civil servants earning well over €100,000. And, those union negotiators are certainly well paid, staying there until three in the morning, he points out. Is it time for another board snip? Do you remember Colin McCarthy? He's done it twice already. Public agencies and quangos and numbers being culled. Should we only do it in recession or should we do it again now? 28 minutes to 11. Younger workers and whether they are work shy. Next.
0: It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands.
1: Now, if you're the parent of a child with additional sensory needs or if you're observing sensory behaviours you don't understand, Developmental Foundations for Learning in Walshastown Mullingar is holding a sensory-smart parenting workshop and it's happening on Saturday, the 3rd of February, from 10.30 until 4.00. Check out Developmental Foundations for Learning on Facebook. Lakeland Vintage Club in Shrule is holding its annual Auto Jumble and Collectors' Fair this Sunday in Ballymahan Mart. And all stalls are welcome. They're only €20 euro for a stall. Admission to the Auto Jumble is a fiver. Enquiries to Mary on 86380 8503 A quiz night in aid of Join Together for Joey takes place in Tom and Jerry's Ballon on Saturday the 26th of January, 7pm with all funds going to support Joey Conway's life-saving treatment in Chicago Big prizes, an auction food and live music on the night See Join Together for Joey on Facebook to donate And finally, for now, Esker Arts Centre in Tullamore is relaunching the Film Club, Tuesday, the 23rd of January, 8pm, with the acclaimed movie Gaza. See Esker Arts on Facebook for tickets, and all proceeds benefit the Palestinian Red Cross. Now, the Community Diary is online at midlands103.com if you want to double-check those details. And if I missed something in your area, pick up the phone. Tell Marina all about it on 0818 300 103.
0: The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormy Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Get exclusive content now on the Midlands 103 smartphone app.
1: Jodie Foster has never been work shy because from the age of three, she was a model and then became a child Hollywood star, Uh, was even nominated for silverware or well, gold, as the case may be, Oscars in Taxi Driver when she was 14 years of age. But these days, she's the other side of the camera and she employs people in her directorial and producer duties. And she told The Guardian newspaper this week that she finds Gen Z colleagues really annoying, especially in the workplace. Gen Z, by the way, if you were born between 1997 and 2012, that is you. She goes on to say they're like, nah, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to come in at half past ten. Or in emails, you'll tell them, this is all grammatically incorrect. Did you not check your spelling? And they'll reply... Why would I do that? Isn't that kind of limiting? And as you can imagine, lots of opinion has been divided between some who would pat her on the back and say, yep, about bloody time they were called out and others who would say, hang on, the nine to five model is a bit antiquated here, Jodie. Get with the times. So how real is that mindset? Colin Donnery is group chief executive of FRS Network, which includes FRS recruitment. Morning, Colin. Morning, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's easy to make flippant remarks, but is she on to something?
8: Oh, definitely, I'd say so. All these Gen uh, Gen Zers have notions and opinions and all that sort of stuff, and and, and I think actually only thing is the workplaces where it all sort of comes together if you think about it you don't see many 20 odd year olds hanging out in the pub with sort of you know 40 year olds or boomers like you will so it's um you know the workplaces where where all this is 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 the melting pot really for this and if you think really about you know um where they've come from i i thought they they sort of the workplace uh, you know on the back of of, of a recession so they some of them just touched on it but most of them have, have been living particularly in ireland through a sort of a, a boom period from sort of 2016 or so um to 2023 so yeah they have high uh, high expectations high demands and um but i uh, look at opinions and you know notions aren't completely a bad thing you know they 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 are very much you know i suppose in tune with things like you know climate change and you know sustainability and and all that type of thing but where we see this sort of chat being challenging is really where you have you know those uh, older managers working with them and ultimately, Gen Z com- community—it's I mean, a communication type of thing—and even you know, uh, I and we stick to communication course, and then flexibility. But you know, older you know, older managers you know basically communicate with email or by phone. Um, And I have a running thing with my my daughter, who's 23 years of age, lives in Berlin. I'll often ring her. She won't answer the phone. um, And then she'll reply to me with a voice note Mm. saying, hi, dad. Yeah, things are fantastic here. How are you? and I'll ring again and I'll leave another voicemail on her phone and she'll come back and thanks dad but I'm not really able to talk right now but things are going great here etc 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 and she keeps leaving voice notes you know so it's quite difficult to get to talk to them um, and they don't use email they use Snapchat and, uh, and, and WhatsApp but I think yeah, organisations well, are Just learning... to get you
1: back for your boomer remark remind me to show you how <laughs> to send a voice note at some stage it's quite easy believe it or not <laughs> Very good. Um, Now, can I just challenge something for a moment, though? Has it not always been like this, where there is a gap in philosophy between an older manager and a young whippersnapper who is always going to be in their 20s, maybe more concerned with um, extracurricular activity than the job at hand? Is that not natural?
8: Yeah, it is. It is definitely natural. But I think what's actually changed is technology has sped things up, right? So And it's made that divide bigger. So the, the, the person thing of that sort of 40-year-old manager going, why won't he turn up on time? It's that and you know, the, the, the 21-year-old crawling out of the bed and, and managing to get into work by half 10. So, so I think two things really have changed. One um, is around the technology and ultimately the you know the the gen z you know worker is better at using the tools than the manager right so in terms of technology in the workplace etc they're just much better at it um and the way we manage in 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 the workplace is, is is changing dramatically so that sort of control and command which came from how you run armies, et cetera, and the way the big manufacturing companies worked all over the world was control and command, you know, very much driving, you know, um, performance and that to much more, you know, sort of flexible types of management. And it's, you can see what's happened really. COVID then is the next thing that happened, particularly for this generation. And like I had never worked remotely before, probably. 2016 or 17, mm. you know, Gen Z, just expect to be able to work remotely. Why do I need to be in the office? You know, that's what they're, they're asking the question, you know, is like, I'm, I'm, why are you bringing me to the office when I can do this job from home much more efficiently and quickly? Yes, bring me to the office, you know, to get, I suppose, yeah, you know, more workshop-type training and induction and all that type of thing. But it's, 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 it's just, there's a, there's, I think there's a bigger chasm between the managers of today, you know, and yesteryear in terms of with workers, you know, the technology thing and society, you know.
1: Here's the difficult question is, which is the better system? And if we make a parallel with education, much of our rote learning, much of our nine to three or nine to four in school, was all preparation for the old workhouses more than a century ago. It wasn't designed to develop critical thinkers, entrepreneurs, the needs that we now have in 2024. And like that, in management, the nine to five clock in, clock out, the very strict, rigid way of uh, disciplining people almost akin to the army that's probably not going to get the best results for a modern economy. So, who's right in this situation?
5: Yeah,
8: there's a, you know, I, th- I think we're really learning. Like, the workplace is actually a very new thing, really. Like, obviously, it's been there, in you know, in in for centuries in different ways. But the modern the modern workplace is really well 140 years old. If you take something like the open plan office, right? So, when we 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 you know back in probably the 90s 2000s the open plan office was you oh this is amazing and we're all working together and i think that's actually enough you know the research is showing that open plan offices don't really work very well from a performance perspective because people are driven you know mad in terms of being distracted uh, etc but that you know we're starting to switch back now to you know and that's one of the advantages people will cite as working from home you know so we're sort of learning all the time. And interestingly, on Jodie Foster's comment on the English language, you know, how has the English language developed over, you know, thousands of years? It's by younger people coming up with new words, et cetera. Mm. So there's some sort of research to show that actually that you want that sort of happening. So you want the younger people coming in, challenging the status quo and, um, you know, Making change, you know, and uh, and uh, and improving things. I, I I think you know the worry for Gen Z at the moment. I would say, particularly in Ireland, as I said, we we we've had very good sort of economy for the past, you know, seven or probably seven or eight years. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if if a any sort of recession hits, you know, you know they're 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 coming in salary wise a lot higher, you know than than people were in the in, the, in after the, the last recession, et cetera. So and they expect a lot more, you know, flexibility. You know, she cited rather coming in at ten thirty. You know, their view is, well, if I come in at 10.30 and I can get the job done by five, why not? What, what What's the difference? You know what I mean? So it's rather than just clocking in, it's about, you know, um, being productive, really, during that, during that period. You yeah,
1: know? and I suppose, look, the answer is really in the nuance and the middle ground, because there are some jobs that are more project driven. And when you get your work done, great. There are others that require you to be present being on the shop floor, being a security guard, being a doctor in a hospital etc. And likewise with the Open Plan office as I was listening I was thinking well if you're doing data entry and it requires concentration if, if you're in accounts for instance then all of this noise and distraction around you is going to hinder performance. But if you're let's say a digital content creator, a role that didn't exist 10 years ago, then having people to bounce ideas off of is positive. So it's very hard to say in black and white terms this is good and this is bad.
8: Yeah, totally, and that's what what organisations are really ch- challenged with at the moment. Like, it, you know, during COVID, as I said, we we, we all worked remotely and uh, worked very well, and everyone was patting each other on the back. And now organisations are seeing that it, it, you know, as you say, working remotely is good in some senses, but bad in others, particularly for things. Actually, with young people, most. Like there's this sort of dichotomy of sort of you know views going on about what young people want. They want to be part of that culture of getting out there, you know, enjoying themselves. But I, I think it's actually changed a little bit since you know my day in 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 the nineties. Oh, it's changed a know, lot since war. your day. <laughs>
1: but it's when it's, your day, the it, Dead Sea was only sick.
8: Oh, sure, look, it was. Yeah, yeah, but um, but 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 I think younger people are looking, um, are, you know. Culture is culture is, is is changing. That that sort of Thursday night, let's all go out and on the, on the piss thing isn't you know what it isn't there like it was previously. You know, and uh, as one of my lads said to me the other day, you think we're bad? Where do you see what Gen Alpha is like? You know, so um, who are who are coming down the oh, track? Right. The iPad generation, you know. All right. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
1: Colin, it has been informative, but I'm sure you are running out of ha'pennies to put in that old telephone of yours, so we'll let oh, yeah. you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah, cheers, Thank Take you. Take care. Colin Donnery, who is Group CEO of FRS Network, it's coming up on 12 minutes to 11. Can you imagine Tom Selleck without the moustache? No, I can't. But there's a family in Leash who are going to have to get used to that idea with another famous moustache.
0: Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Keep following the stories at midlands 103com Midlands 103.
1: There are some people you just can't picture without a moustache. Tom Selleck, as I mentioned, but how about Burt Reynolds? Einstein always had that famous moustache. And then there was Hulk Hogan, Well, he had far more than a moustache. Ray Malone... If you know him in Portley, she's been walking around the town for the last 20 years with the moustache. And indeed, he was in Dublin before that with the moustache. And his daughter, Karen, has never seen him without the moustache. Guys, good morning. good morning. Good morning. Ray, why did you grow the moustache yeah. to begin with?
9: Why? Yeah, when? yeah why? Sorry, when? Well, uh, I suppose back from the... They, you know, it was a good thing to have the moustache. You know, young lads going around and the, the, sort of the cowboy style moustache. And that's basically what I grew at that time. Back in, oh, years ago, thereabouts. And did you ever contemplate taking it off? Not really. I mean, my kids then, and the children asked me a few times, don't you for charity? As I will sometime. And so just Christmas gone, we're sitting at the table and my eldest lad, Derek, well, don't you shave it off for charity now. Now, Karen is involved with the of um, the bifida, and I said, yeah, okay, so I, I'll do it then, and that's how it all started. Wow, now is the time,
1: 55 years later. And Karen, I'm not going to give your age away, obviously, but suffice to say, you've never seen your dad without this.
10: No, no, I haven't. My brothers haven't. Even my mother hasn't. So my dad's own wife has never seen him without it. I think there's very few people alive on the planet today that have seen him without a bar, maybe his his brothers and sisters. Um, but other than that, no, nobody's seen him without it. So it will be very strange.
1: And has he applied for planning permission to take it off?
10: <laughs>
9: <laughs> oh, I would have had something. Um, yeah, no, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't know how we feel after it. To be honest, to be quite honest with you, I. I'm OK doing it, but a little bit apprehensive, maybe. That's um, so what I'll even look like. Do I know what I look like myself? <laughs> you yeah. know? Could be so, risky. Uh, I mean, have yeah. you ever but seen I'll one of those cats? Today. You know, the cats who don't have the fur. They just look odd. <laughs> Thanks very much for
1: that. Yeah, no, I'm full <laughs> of encouragement this morning. Full of encouragement. But well, you are doing it for a great cause, as you said. And Karen, maybe tell us more about the organisation you're working with.
10: Yeah, so it's fine a bit for a Hydrocephalus Ireland Uh, SBHI for short. Um, Our head office is in Clendalkin, but we have branches throughout the the country. Um, Most, I think most counties uh, have a branch, but we do have um, a family support worker also in the Midlands. So we support um, anybody with hydrocephalus or spina bifida and their families with um, educational supports, um, employment supports, creating awareness, offering them resources and advocacy support um with throughout their their time with the conditions trying to enhance the quality of their lives that's basically in a nutshell what we do
1: and you're funded how
10: Um, we do get government funding but a lot of our funding is also from donations and fundraisers so that's why dad here has been kind enough to help us out a little bit
1: so, what's the plan to raise the money and, and indeed to make enough of a spectacle of this historic occasion?
10: We are greatly being supported, gratefully I should say, being supported by Portland Barbers um, in leash. Uh, so, just to give them a great plug-in because they have been great supportive, um, supportive of us. They are allowing us to do it there. So, Gary there is going to give Dad a nice hot towel shave. We're going to record it live. Uh, that could be posted up on social media as well. So we're asking everybody and anybody to uh, share out. Our, we, sorry, we also have a GoFundMe page. So that's up and running currently at the minute. We have about 560 euros of donations in that. Very good. Um, so we're asking everybody and anybody if they, if they would like to donate, donate, please do. If they can't donate, that's no problem. If they could just share it out on social media to create a bit more awareness of it.
1: But I have to say, Ray, I'm just jealous because I could never grow a moustache to begin with. And you always have the option, if you don't like the look afterwards, might you grow it back?
9: Um, I don't. I don't. Honestly, yes, I did. I have thought about actually growing it back. But um, in some ways, it, it, it sort of defeats the purpose. And if I'm shaving it off, it doesn't seem right to me. So I'll shave it off. I'll get a few quid. Should I grow it back again next week? Doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem right to me. So I, I don't know. Is the answer to that now? I, I may grow it back. I may not. It, it really
10: all depends on what he looks like without it.
9: Yeah. Am <laughs> I going to be? Am I going to be like Port Reynolds as you say, or whatever? <laughs> so uh, well, I don't know. That's the right answer there, Will. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It, it depends if the other half approves or not as well.
9: This is it. This is it. I could say something. I i onto my there, so <laughs> I won't make make a comment like that a wise um, man yeah but it's, it's not it's it uh, i'm looking forward to doing it but at the same time it's, it's like going into a new job you know you're looking for a new job you're a little bit apprehensive about what it's going to be like and that's exactly how i feel now and i'm happy to be doing it to get a few bob but i am mean, that little bit apprehensive about it big change after 55 years so anybody who
1: wants that's to it. support and it's a great cause the official shaving, as you've said, is the 22nd of February. Portland Barbers in late. And what are you searching for on GoFundMe, Karen?
10: Well, our, our, our ideal target is €2,000. Euro. That, that's what we're, we're hoping to hit. Um, we, as I said, we've 560 so far. But there's plenty of time for anybody to donate if they'd like to, so to help us hit that €2,000 Euro target. Excellent.
1: Ray Malone and Karen thank you both very much for taking our call this morning thank you
10: thank for you having us much, will. thank you
1: thank you now still on the agenda today your rights experts will be here in around half an hour's time taking your questions and an air pollution warning a public health alert for Midlands Towns
0: love the Midlands love Midlands 103
1: Frank in Stradbally says the discussion about Gen Z being work shy tells us something about how the economy has evolved in the last few years. It doesn't seem long ago when all the talk was about zero hours contracts and the gig economy. Then employees called in as and when required with no worker income. Now it seems employees have the upper hand. Or is it the case that the nature of the employment available Two individuals with different skill sets. Probably the latter as well. Or points out that Talek did get rid of the moustache in Friends. Hmm. He also says, I agree with Jody Foster. It's this text speak that drives me mad. My son does it. He's only 14, but I often don't understand what he's saying on text. I'm not stupid, by the way. I have three degrees, two of them masters. Speak English as we were taught in school, is his message. I think YouTube has a lot to answer for when it comes to how children are inclined to converse with each other and their parents. Um, I've heard mine say bra, as in, hey bro, now it's bra. Anyway, I digress. In this hour, the potential for offshore wind in Ireland rather than, as was the case a decade ago, developing wind farms in the Midlands. And our rights expert looks at what happens if you rent a room in your house and the person is very messy and that employer's nightmare, somebody falling at a Christmas party. Is it the venue who's responsible or is it you, the boss? When you call 0818 is the Midlands 103 comment line. When you go outside especially on a winter's day here in the Midlands, you may detect the smell of turf burning or other fuels as people are trying to heat their homes. And it is at this time of year, air pollution tends to go up. But surely as we've moved towards more and more smokeless fuels, the picture is more positive from a public health point of view. Well, let's tease that out with Dr Anne-Marie Murray, who is a specialist registrar in public health medicine here in the Midlands. Anne-Marie, good morning.
5: Good morning, Will. Thanks for speaking to me this morning.
1: You wanted to talk about air pollution in the Midlands. What's going on at the moment that has you concerned?
5: Well, just first of all, to say most of the time the air quality is good in the Midlands and in Ireland. But there are um, episodes of poor air quality, a very small number of days per year, um, where the air quality is poor and then we've seen this recently with in the Midland towns um, as you said with the severe cold kind of calm weather we've had um, over the last week or so when the air stays very close to the ground
1: So I suppose there are two situations then you've got somebody who perhaps has an underlying condition and they may develop an acute um, problem as a result of the air pollution and then you have the more chronic danger of living somewhere that has ongoing air pollution and how that affects you over time so if we deal with the first category of people, who in particular might be affected on these more intense days
5: yeah so when when the air quality is poor it can cause health effects and um, especially for kind of children older people, and then adults with heart and lung conditions they be particularly vulnerable and you can get symptoms ranging from you know, eye, nose, and throat irritation to to worsening of asthma, pneumonia, or bronchitis. Um, what your listeners can do, though, is they can check the air quality in their area on the airquality.ie website because air quality is a very local issue and it can change quite quite quickly. Um, and when when the air quality is poor, what we're saying to, to to these particularly vulnerable people that they can take action to protect themselves. So what we're saying is that they should reduce strenuous physical activity, particularly outdoors, and particularly if they experience symptoms.
1: And is there any technological solution? For instance, if somebody has to go outdoors, if they have to expend energy, do masks make a difference?
5: Well, I have to say, I'm not familiar with the details of recommending masks, um, especially with people with respiratory conditions. It's kind of a complex one, mm. but um, I could look that up for you and come back to you on it.
1: And if um, if somebody develops symptoms as you've described how is that usually treated how do you respond
5: well what we've seen in, in studies in the bigger cities um, and even one in Dublin and um, um, in other big cities around the world is that you can see higher rates of admissions um, at times like this when the weather is very cold and calm um, and you see higher admissions for kind of um people, you know, worsening asthma, worsening C O P D, um and I suppose they would be treated the way they normally would. Um so I suppose the message is really if people can protect themselves and if the if the air quality is poor in their area to, to follow the advice that they shouldn't should reduce mm-hmm. physical activity, particularly outdoors, and if they experience symptoms.
1: Yeah, you've hit on an interesting point there, Anne-Marie. It's not just the cold weather, which obviously encourages people to heat their homes more, but it's those still, calm evenings when that pollution may linger, as opposed to a more blustery day when at least it's dispersed.
5: That's right, and your listeners might even see fog on those days, and that's another indicator to kind of... Maybe I'll check the airquality.e website today because this is very suspicious now, you know, So if you don't have,
1: let's say, one of those conditions, COPD, something that would be quite susceptible in air pollution, if you're just breathing in this occasionally polluted air, while it's not ideal, is there
5: much to worry about? Well, there is advice for the general public when the air quality is poor that they could um, reduce their activity outdoors if, if they experience symptoms when the air quality is poor. So if you're out and about and you notice you know your eyes are getting sore or your throat is getting irritated and um, we'd recommend you know that you take it easy and um, and avoid that activity if you can and like I said earlier the air quality can change quite quickly and um, so it's it's quite dynamic that way so to just check the website um,
1: and over the last yeah. few years Ireland has changed in many ways we're less reliant on peat for instance to Produce electricity, and perhaps less reliant in homes on not just peat but smoky coal uh, and other such carbon-based fuels. So, are we seeing an improvement over time, and and is this eventually going to become less of an issue?
5: Well, you said on a really important point. Well, that like it is really important that people continue to keep warm and in their homes over winter, and also that people need to carefully consider how best to heat their home. Um so, you know, and people can play their part in reducing air pollution in their community by avoiding using solid fuels if they have an alternative cleaner heating system like central heating. But we know there's lots of people who don't have that option and if they don't, could they consider burning things other um burning less smoky fuels, particularly on those cold, calm evenings. It's kind
1: of Yeah, so you're talking to people who have the means to have that choice and accept that exactly, not everybody yeah. does some of those cleaner alternatives can be more expensive
5: Yeah and we, we're very um, cognisant you know we're in a cost of living price crisis, energy prices are high and it's really just if you can, do what you can and anything you can do will help your yourself and your local area in relation to air quality.
1: Anne-Marie food for thought, thank you very much for joining us.
5: Okay thank you Will.
1: Dr Anne-Marie Murray is a specialist registrar in public health medicine. Coming up on a quarter past 11 and staying with the environment for a moment, wind farms, one perhaps of the solutions to decarbonising the electricity system. We've seen anaerobic digestion, we've seen solar, it's one of a basket of different ideas. And about a decade ago, a little bit more, the Midlands was starting to see huge development in wind farms. But many experts believe the potential is not onshore, but offshore. Let's discuss after these.
0: The Midlands most listened to radio show, Midlands Today with Will Faulkner.
1: Not sure I can ever look at David Hollywood the same way again. Anyway, in 10 minutes, our rights expert takes you through rental, if the rental is not of the house, but just of a single room, do the same rules apply? And if you've been scammed, and unfortunately Barry in County Offaly has lost €2,000, Euro, is there any prayer of getting that money back? First, though, it's time for Hours to Protect and a look in detail at offshore wind technology.
0: to Protect. Brought to you by Midlands 183, the IBI and funded by Commission the Man with a television licence fee. Check out hours to protectie for more information. On today's Hours to Protect we look at offshore wind technology. Ireland's extensive coastline provides a strategic advantage for the development of offshore wind farms. The Irish Sea and the Atlantic Ocean offer favourable conditions for harvesting wind energy. Una Brosnan is the Director of Innovative Climate Solutions and says the same technology used onshore can be used offshore.
11: Offshore wind technology has been around quite a while and I suppose just to give it in layman's terms to, to, to people, it's very much a a marinisation and offshoring of onshore technology, except at a larger scale. So some of the technology you would see onshore would be in the range of maybe 3 to 4 megawatts, um, looking at the latest technology. And when we move offshore, we're looking at anything now from 10 to looking almost at 20 megawatt um, machines offshore. So it's really at scale and putting the technology in an offshore position. Um, The technology itself is split between fixed and floating technology. So what do I mean by that? On the fixed side, which is probably the more mature of the technologies which has been around and you've seen these uh, technologies um, uh, installed in the UK and wider in Europe and now more recently in the US that is grounded And um, so it's, it's um, either it's a monopile or a jacket or subs- as a gravity-based solution where they're actually embedded in the ground or sitting on top of the seabed itself. On the floating side, so this is more for deeper offshore um, locations with more challenging ground conditions and more maybe challenging environmental conditions. This technology, um, it has been tested globally. Um, there's two, two test facilities in the UK at the minute, or just off the coast of Scotland. And this technology is on the cusp of commercialization. And it's actually a really um, interesting technology for potentially the, um, the west coast of Ireland. When uh, looking at Ireland itself and where we are in offshore wind, we've got a number of projects on the East Coast, which were recently um, awarded ORES1. So they are underway uh, in their consenting activities and looking at um, doing detailed design and procuring their their wind farm technology and and components, very much working towards uh, 2030, 2031 installation and operation periods. Um, but i mean the pipeline ahead we're, we're keen to see what next after ores um one in particular so you know the government is looking at phase two it's looking at um future frameworks as well looking at technologies uh, beyond fixed um very much so looking at the atlantic as well so it's a very interesting time for ireland but we need pace we need visibility of pipeline we need um, confidence from the government to build this industry if we are to, to realise this in Ireland. While Una is a big supporter of offshore wind farms, she says that there needs to be a mix with onshore sites to provide the best possible solutions for the country. It's very much about the energy mix. I mean, what we have is the big challenge for every country here is is really around the energy trilemma and looking at CO2 reduction, looking at cost reduction. And the big one, I suppose, more recently with global conflict has been around energy security. Offshore wind can bring, um, you know, it can bring electricity at scale. Larger wind farms can be built offshore. You know, you're as I mentioned, the turbine technology is a lot bigger. So hence you can you can scale up a lot quicker, but very much so we need onshore as well. We also need battery storage. We need to look at um, other derivatives as well, which may be used maybe from constrained wind or looking at how, if we can get the cost right, looking at things like green hydrogen, ammonia and how we can decarbonize our in- industry. It's not just about electricity anymore. It's very much around how we decarbonize the wider industry as well. So again, it, a lot orientates around that, what we call an energy trilemma trying to get the balance, but it's all about the energy mix. Building offshore can bring a number of challenges for developers. Offshore is a different, I'll call it a different beast. Um, Obviously, we've got challenging weather conditions around us. Um, So when you're looking at an offshore wind farm, we very much look at the site location. We look at the wind speeds. We look at the environmental conditions. We also look at, say, elements around fishing, commercial and um, smaller scale. Um, we look at um, is there any uh, migratory birds or looking at larger mammals? But a big one actually we look at is around ground conditions. You know, can, is there challenging ground there? If there's elements of rock outcrop, you know, you know that there's going to be a challenge. It will need drilling, it will need challenging, um, they will have challenging what we call met ocean conditions. So that's the, the wind and wave and sea conditions, um, you know, and that makes it more difficult and, and drives risk within projects. So it's all about finding that balance and finding that optimum size. So a lot of work goes into gathering data and data is king when it comes to picking the right site. You're never going to get the perfect one, but it's finding the balance and mitigating risk where you can, and then finding an optimum, um, what we call lowest cost of energy or LCOE, which be better known in, in the industry, um, it's finding that optimum uh, price basically that you can commercialize that wind farm. So it's very much all about the balance of cost and risk. There is also a bigger cost associated with building offshore. Offshore, obviously, because of the challenging environment it's it's based in, it it, it does bring um, more cost with it. But we have seen a lot of cost reduction, particularly in fixed bottom, in recent over the last decade, really. Um, the UK have really has been at the forefront of this, and um, very much orientated around driving cost when it came to cost of finance. Um, looking at the larger turbines it had a huge impact and bringing down costs and very much sitting, you know, on a par with some and competing with some of the um, traditional forms of generation. I will say that in recent months, particularly in the last year with the challenges in the market, we have seen obviously inflation and we have seen Um, cost of finance go up. So ultimately, you have seen a slight creep up in the cost of energy there as well. But you've seen that equally in other areas as well. You've seen, obviously, the cost of oil go up. And it's important to recognize the balance of of cost uh, increase right across um, each of the, the traditional forms of energy generation. But um, we're working very hard, obviously. Inflation, we saw this morning in the UK, the um, inflation has dropped um, in months. So that's a positive indication that things are going the right direction. But it's all, again, bouncing the cost and the risk is going to be imperative going forward for the future.
0: For more information about building offshore, see ours2protect.ie, and there's a fact sheet on midlands103.com.
1: And that's report by Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble, and if you're involved in any environmental initiative big or small then make us aware of it you can email studio at midlands103.com
0: This renewable energy feature is brought to you in association with Renewable Energy Ireland Clean Energy Secure Energy Irish Energy Renewable Energy Ireland the home of the Midlands Today Show. Right here, let's turn it up. Monday to Friday from 9am. Midlands 103.
1: Now, time to pick the brain of the rights expert and feel free to send a question. Mightn't get to it today, but we will certainly on the next occasion. And the text is 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Tom Walsh is here from the Tullamore Citizens Information Centre. Good morning. Good morning, William. Thank you
12: very much for inviting me in again this morning. Asher, it's younger you're looking every year, Uh Tom. Thanks very much. Say the nicest things. Checking the post. Sandra is in Moat
1: and she went to apply for a new driving licence because she discovered her own one will be out of date next month. So she logs on using her Gov ID but a message came up to say her PPS was not registered and she needs a public services card.
12: So how does she get one? Yes, it's fairly straightforward. If she contacts her local intro office, so she contacts them and they'll send her out an appointment uh, to go along. So the process takes about maybe 15 minutes or 10 minutes at the most. And um, what she does is They'll take a photograph of her there and then. What she needs to do is bring along a couple of pieces of information when she's going along with her. Very important that she has a proof of address. Now, I know somebody said to me, well, I got the letter from the social welfare. If I bring in that, is that what they're looking for is a utility bill. So bring in proof of address. If she has a passport or anything like that with a photo ID, something with photo ID, and then she goes in, and it's fairly straightforward. When she gets the letter, for the appointment it will have the details of what she needs to bring with her on it but make sure she brings the proof of address mm. must do that myself actually it just makes life a
1: bit handier it does John in Mount Rath is living on his own he'll be 66 next month and so he's wondering will he now be entitled to fuel allowance
12: now fuel allowance is uh, it's not given to everybody it's not like the free travel it's given to everybody who hits the pension age So it is uh, assessed. So what I need to know is what John's means are. My advice to John would be if he calls into a centre and they'll go through because we'd need to know what who's living with him. Is there somebody living with him that would be entitled to it or is there somebody living with him we say who's working that would exclude him from getting it. Only one person in the household is allowed to apply for it. So there is a little bit of uh, paperwork involved in it. No it's not complicated or anything like that but it's just on who's eligible and who not. So if he calls into any of the centres one of the officers will help him with it.
1: Pamela's next and she's renting out a room in her house and she says the tenant is very messy and even though she's spoken to them about this, it hasn't worked. So she thinks it's time they parted company but the tenant doesn't want to leave. So,
12: what can she do? It's a very tense atmosphere. Yes, it is for her in that point of view. Now, I'll start out by saying this is not a normal tenancy agreement or a situation. When you rent out a room, you are just renting it out on an ad hoc basis so you have complete control as to who's in your house. They're there at your invite as such. Now, yes. I know so just to make the distinction between that and where you're renting a yes, house. If I'm renting apartment. a house, you are a proper tenant. All the legislation in Ireland applies to you and to the to, to the landlord and to the tenant. In this situation, none of that legislation applies. So it's just an ad hoc basis in the point of view that somebody is there with your invitation. They're going to pay you so much per week. So from the point of view, she's in the yeah, driving seat. Yes, she's completely in the driving seat. What she needs to do is, is sit down and talk to the tenant. Now, obviously, it sounds like that she's done this already. Mm. So I would advise her, again, one last time, sit down. And then if it looks like it's not coming to, just give her a short letter, give her a date that I want you out by the end of the month or whatever it is. If the person persists in staying after that time, that person is now trespassing. Call the guards. It's a trespasser in your house, and that's what. Yeah. it is. Because I say the legislation from a legal point not, of view, yeah, yeah does yeah. not apply. All right. It's hopefully not going to come to that. No. For hopefully a party. Yes. Except, but if she says to her, look, if they sit down with the the, the person and say, look. It's just not working out. I'm sorry. Mm. I've tried it and it's just both of us not working out. Yeah. So, look, I'd like you to leave. And if the person says no, well, you know, you know, I mean, I can call the guards and yeah. they will remove you.
1: But you can also demonstrate by giving them the letter yeah. that when the Garthi come in, you've been reasonable exactly. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Linda, oh, she had a fall at her Christmas party while out on the dance floor and she has hurt her back and she has missed 2 weeks off work and she wasn't paid for the 2 weeks off work and she's wondering who is responsible, the venue or the employer. And I know she doesn't say
12: herself. Yes. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to say a little bit before I just actually deal with it. I'll read out a little bit here. Says It is important to remember that employers can be held liable for incidents that happen at Christmas parties, even if the party is off site and out of the hours. Once the arrangements for the company Christmas party have been organised, the employer should take the opportunity, perhaps an email communication about the event, to remind staff that it is a company event and, for everyone's enjoyment, be mindful that all company policies and procedures apply, especially in relation to conduct on the night. So I just wanted to read that out to you first, just to make people aware that because... But people have this idea that, well, it's happened in the nightclub and is the nightclub responsible? Is the employer responsible? So there is a certain amount of responsibility to the employer, depending on if it was organized in the work. Now, if a group of employees just got together and decided we're going to have a knees up, Mm -hmm. that could be argued that that wasn't organized by the company. So it's not a company event. So it's just something to be aware of. Now, coming back to her. So, what's the situation for her? She's going to be taking a personal injuries claim. My advice to her would be... You see, normally we would have a free legal advice uh, support in the services. And we do have it. But it's just, at the moment, it's chocker block. So, it could be a while before she gets to see somebody. My advice would be to go to speak to a solicitor. Because the solicitor will... Guider in who's actually responsible in this particular case. So I think she should take some legal advice on it. It is a personal injuries claim. Do I go to the personal injuries board? Do I go to the nightclub? Do I go to the employer? Mm. You know, a legal advice would be needed in that situation.
1: Potentially the action could be Against both the venue and the employer One will
12: be attached to the yes, other yes. And each will try to unattach Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's, a, that, that's why I say she'd need to take legal advice Because if she goes off and does it herself She could end up losing out All over So my advice would be just get some, And I know that's why she contacted us mm. Is for the advice But that would be the best advice for her
1: There is also the piece that while they shouldn't hold it against her, especially if she has genuinely incurred an injury, you know, if you're going to sue your employer, that can have an effect on relationships. Yeah,
12: it shouldn't, but, but, yes. but yeah, you know, no, human nature is mm, human
1: nature. Mm, yeah. So she's to consider the whole picture. <laughs> Niamh in Mullingar says she worked all the way through the pandemic and her company was in receipt of wage support from the government during this time she has received, like many other people, a tax bill, in her case, €1,500. And she's wondering, is she liable for this or should the company she works for not have paid it?
12: Yeah, it it comes down to really the employer. It's her liability as such. What happened was during the pandemic, the government allowed employers to bank or put aside a certain amount of uh, taxable income and the employment support scheme was one of those things on it and I think it's been on the news now for the last month or two where revenue have said that decided that they're going to start chasing up on it it is her tax liability because she received the money She can argue some employers might turn around and say, well, we might help you out with it and we'll pay part of it because you're a good employee or whatever it is. If it's just her liability and the employer says, well, I'm sorry, but it's nothing to do with us. We have 300 employees and we can't afford to pay all their tax bills. Then she's going to have to come to an arrangement with the um, revenue. Revenue will be very, very accommodating in this. They can do it a few ways. One, they can reduce her tax credits over the next four years as such. So she won't actually be paying anything out in one lump sum. Or she can decide with revenue that she's going to it's going to be deducted from her wages at a certain amount per month or per week or whatever it is. So the liability is there, but what she needs to do is talk to revenue, her employer first And then talk to uh, Mm -hmm. Revenue about how she's going to pay this back. Yeah. I uh, revenue will be very helpful. We talked to an accountant on the programme, well, many times over the years, actually, and
1: they were at pains to point out, it's not that the employer has done anything wrong. No, no. They followed instructions from yeah. revenue, and I think the instructions yeah. were not to apply tax yes. to this portion of the income. Yeah. So, hence, the liability arises. And you could be very uncharitable and say, well, everybody was told back then, yeah. put some money away because you are going to have to pay yeah. this. But we've had a cost of living crisis in the meantime, and that money's probably spent. So everybody's just in a
12: rock and a hard place. It, it is. It is. It is, for, as you, as, I said, for, for as I say for everybody. And revenue recognises that. So they're not going to send out, I mean, although they've sent out a bill for 1500 there's no demand notice with it saying that if, unless you pay it within the next month, we'll see you in court, that type of thing. No, that's not going to happen. And they've... Emphasise that umpteen times that they will accommodate people. Once, and it's like, I suppose, everything else. Won't you engage? Mm. Is the the most important thing. Pay them a euro a year. <coughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll accept that Yeah, <laughs>
1: no Neve is in Mullingar um, Sorry, that was Neve's question Wayne is up next and actually we need to take a quick pause because if you have a query still time to send it on 083 30 10 that's on text or on WhatsApp powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore
0: Midlands Today with Will Faulkner with the stories beyond the headlines Midlands 103
1: Wayne in Portlaoise, not his real name, I stress, was due to have his children for seven days over Christmas. But instead, his ex took them to her family in Cork and he didn't get the chance to even give them their presents. And she's always playing games with access, according to him, at least. So what can he do?
12: Yeah, this is a sad one because unfortunately it does come up now and again, something like that, uh, where people use the children in retaliation for various reasons or other, there's two things on this. First of all, is it a super? Is it a, an official visit? In other words, is there? A, is it a court-appointed uh, visits to the children? If it is, she's in breach of that order, and then he can contact the court and get it resolved. If it's an ad hoc one, they just decided to come together and let's work out the uh, visitate, uh, visitation arrangements mm. between us, it shows that there's a problem. And they need maybe he needs to sit down and get a proper court-appointed uh, system in place. Mm. Or at a, least mediation first. Yes. If it's an ad hoc one, as I say to you, there's very little he can do about it because it's just an arrangement between the two of them. And it seems to be going sour, the fact that it got to that stage where he lost them for so if it's if it's it's an official one then make a complaint under that and get it sorted out if it's an unofficial one my advice would Mm. be maybe get an official one
1: Barry has been scammed out of 2,000 euro from his bank account and he's wondering can he get the money back
12: right for anybody who's been scammed immediately stop all contact with the scammer That sounds obvious, but sometimes people keep going, hoping that they're going to get the money back. So stop all contact. Do not make any further payments. Tell your bank or card provider immediately if you have paid by credit or debit card. Report the incident to the local guard station as a criminal matter. Collect records, emails or other communications related to the scam. Secure your devices, because this is very important. Once they get into a device, so change all your passwords. Report the incident to the Consumer Protection Agency for advice and to prevent further people being scammed. You might be able to get your money back depending on what happened and how you paid the scammer. If you noticed an author an unauthorised transaction on your account, contact your, contact your bank immediately. In most cases, your bank will ref, must refund for unauthorised payment if it's through the bank. You know, in other words, something you didn't authorise, but it has happened. Mm. It's very unlikely that he's going to get the money back, depending on where it went. If yeah. it's gone out of to if it's gone to Nigeria or wherever, Lithuania or Latvia mm. or Timbuktu it's very unlikely that he's going to trace it back. And again, it depends on the circumstances, the extent to which he may have been at fault for allowing them to have access versus the bank failing in its duties. Yeah, you see, that's what I'm saying to you. If it's unauthorised, in other words, I had nothing to do with it, the bank allowed this to happen because of various things, then the bank is liable. And they will refund it. The credit card or the bank will refund it. I mean, sometimes you get messages saying that there's been an unauthorised transaction. And if you do nothing about that, but sometimes if you do something about it, it's when you're opening it up. Yeah. So be very (laughs) careful when dealing with those. I've had lots of texts in the last few days from AIB Mm -hmm. telling me that due to unusual
1: activity, my card has been placed on hold. If only I had an AIB card. Well, well, I
12: got one from Revolut yesterday and I don't have Revolut either. There you go. uh, But if, if people then start, you see, what happens then is people click on that to let them know, well, I don't have a Revolu card. And then they see, oh, look, I have to fill in this box and I have to click this and I have to do that. And suddenly they're in serious trouble and money is disappearing out of their account quickly. Just be very careful on the, the Internet and make sure your um, anti-fraud uh, software is up to date because actually I, I don't have anything worth taking. Mm-hmm. But it's surprising what you have that's they were taking one other thing I do and you can do it on Revolut you can do it on, on Post
1: and possibly on other accounts you have vaults within your current account so you can use it say for a holiday or fuel or whatever your purpose is but it reduces the amount you have sitting in your yeah. main current account yeah. so even if they
12: do get in the there's one. less damage yeah. they can do yeah yeah It's the locked room syndrome mm. you, know, you, you know They get into the house They're only in one room Because all the rest of them are locked And yeah It's, it's a good piece of advice For people to do it You know and, But unfortunately That piece of advice Is great for people Who are no technology Yeah Yeah Accept it, of course Unfortunately Geraldine in Port Arlington Is working two jobs
1: And she's wondering If she's better off Splitting her tax credits Between the two
12: employers Or will it make any difference At the end of the year, it makes no difference. But on a week-to-week basis, people might say, well, you can split it whatever way you want to. Supposing the first job is paying her 300 euros and the second job is paying her 100 euros. She can split her credits two-thirds to one job and one-third to another job. It's very easy. Just contact Revenue and they will do that for her. At the end of the year, when the money comes in to the Revenue... They will amalgamate it anyway, and then if there's any overpayment, they will refund it in the, the new year. But as I say, for a day-to-day basis, depend it, it's really a personal choice yeah.
1: for somebody to do that. So for cash flow, she might be better off splitting,
12: but at the end of the year, she's not leaving any money on the table if she doesn't. Exactly. Mm. That's it. Yeah, exactly. People might think, well, I paid all the tax on that one account. Or, you know, that one job. So at the end of the year, did I not get anything off it? You know, and sometimes married couples do that where they're able to jointly assess. And then what they do is because she's earning three times as much as he is, they put most of the credits over to her mm. um, employment, mm. you know, to, to our employment. It's it's the standard thing that revenue will do. And as I say, it only affects the month to month basis in the point of view of how much you're taking home at the end of the month. At the end of the year, it will, if you look at the balance sheet, it's still going to balance out.
1: Una in Burr wants to build a small porch on the back of her house. And she's wondering, does she need to apply for planning permission? Because she heard something about buildings to the rear being exempt.
12: Yes. Now, actually... I think we dealt with this before and I, I'm not sure what we it went before But because I, I, when I read this question I was trying to remember. What you have to remember is anything less than 40 square metres which is 20 metres by 20 metres is exempt. So you don't need planner permission for anything less than that. If she's building a small porch you might say, well, it's only going to be a couple of metres by a couple of metres so it will be exempt. But... If she already has an extension to the property, mm-hmm. which this will now bring it over the 40 square metres. So, in other words, the old extension and the new extension are counted as one. If you put them, yeah, if you mm-hmm. put them as one, then she will need mission. My advice to anybody who's going to do any building works in their house, extensions or whatever, is send an email or a letter to your local planning office outlining what you're intending to do giving the size and the height so i'm i'm planning on building an extension at the back house which is 30 meters by 30. now remember it's the floor area that Mm -hmm. you're measuring so 30 meters by 30 meters and it's going to have a an overall height of 12 meters they will then come back to her and say to her actually you will need permission because you're building a, a larger extension on a single storey house, which is going to go over the roof level. So you need planning permission from that, although it's less than the 40 square metres. So my advice would be that anybody who's doing any renovations at all, just a simple email. Now, probably the planning office are going to be given out to me because they're going to get a lot of emails. I know, but well, yeah. It solves the problem in the beginning because then you're able to work off that. I do need it or I don't need yeah. it. Well, all of the big boys do it. They call it a pre-planning meeting. Yes. Where you go in with your massive factory proposal and they'll give you a steer. Exactly. And that's and that's exactly what you're looking for here. Just a small bit of advice on what's the next steps for me.
1: One more. Damien in... Uh, we'll take two more. Damien in Strad Valley has a problem with his dishwasher. It's only three months old and it's not working properly. The shop claims it has nothing to do with them because there's a 12 month manufacturer's warranty on this.
12: Now, yeah. who's right? I love that. I love that. Um, say for instance it's a Whirlpool machine. So Whirlpool are it's a French company manufactured in Poland. So is the shop expected him to get into his car and drive to France or drive to Poland?
1: I'm sure if they could get
12: away with it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of organis- or uh, companies uh, try that one on. Oh, it's a manufacturer's guarantee. Who did he buy the machine from? Did he buy it from Whirlpool or Hotpoint or whoever it is? Or did he buy it from the shop? Who did he pay the money to? Gave the money to the shop. And that's who his contract is with. He doesn't care about Whirlpool or Hotpoint or whatever it is they have down. It comes down to Who ultimately did he buy it from? And that's who his responsibility is. He's entitled from the shop, not from the manufacturer. He's entitled to a repair or replacement for Mm -hmm. the defective machine. And people should remember on this, you know, when they come in and say, well, you know, I got a six month warranty on it and it's now seven months and my machine has packed up. Remember, under the legislation, it's got to be reasonably merchantable quality. So a washing machine should last more than six months, even though they say you've got a six months um, warranty on it. You know, so a lot of uh, companies will try that one out. On. Oh, it's nothing to do with us. Yeah, Take although to be
1: fair, I thought a lot of
12: companies had upped their game
1: in more recent years that maybe the dispute would be well do you get a replacement in the meantime while this one is being repaired that tends to be the I
12: had it recently myself with my car yes that they kept saying to me no no it's the manufacturer's responsibility and I kept saying I didn't buy it from the manufacturer Mm. bought it from you and it took a lot of arguing and now a lot of arguing with them and eventually I had to print off the piece of legislation from citizensinformation.ie I just printed off the piece of information brought it in, put it in his hand and I said, what does that say? Does that say i have go back to the manufacturer or to the seller? Remind me to never piss you off. (laughs) You see, it comes down to the legislation. What does the legislation say? One more from Sarah,
1: who got a present that she really doesn't like and she wants to return it. But there was no gift receipt and she's wondering, does the shop have to take it back without a receipt? No.
12: No, the shop is not obliged to take back. Any shop is not obliged to take back anything if it's not like that of merchantable quality. Mm. You know, I mean, I got a jumper and I didn't like the colour when oh. I brought it home and I brought it back to Dunstores. stores. And Dunstores, stores, being fair to them, and a lot of um, uh, companies have this policy in place that we will allow you. That's not a legal mm. obligation. Only if it's defective. The only time you can change something on a change of mind is if you buy online. Yes. Because you didn't see it in your hand. Other than that, if you go into a shop and you see something in your hand, you've had the opportunity to try it on. And when you got home, you didn't like the size or the colour or whatever it is. It's a gift that the uh, shop is given to you, whether you have a receipt or not. Tom. That's all we have time for but if anybody wants to continue the conversation with you or your colleagues how may you be found? We are all the centres are opened there are drop-in in in the mornings from all the centres throughout the country appointment only in the afternoon but if you call us somebody will call you back Fairly quickly, within 24 hours, we guarantee a call back. That somebody will call the back. And but there's also a national helpline as well, so people can ring on that. So citizensinformation.ie. Remember, I said to you I printed off a piece of legislation. It's available to everybody to do that. Tom Walsh, thank you very much indeed.
0: Midlands Today with Bus Éireann. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Éireann services as part of the Transport for Ireland's network. Visit busireann.ie today.